Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode 55 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today I'm chatting with Lorraine Sanders. Lorraine hosts the Spirit of 608 podcast, where she features guests who are at the intersection of fashion, entrepreneurship, sustainability, and tech. She calls it Fest, and she believes it is the future of fashion. Lorraine also runs a business called Prestope, where she helps brands get the press attention they deserve without spending three to 5000 a month on a PR firm. I know that's out of the budget for many of us, so she teaches you how to DIY it, but also hold your hand a little bit when you need the support that you need. In the interview, Lorraine and I chat about how she transitioned or more appropriately recovered from her long, long, long over a decade career in journalism into a podcaster and press dope founder. She also shares tons of great insights and strategies on how to get media coverage for your brand or business, how to build relationships with the press. And she tells us how to do all this even if we're brand new and we don't have a big following yet. One of the most important things Lorraine talks about in the interview, however, is how to make sure your press coverage actually affects your bottom line. Are you going to get more email subscribers? Are you going to get more uh, orders? You know, what's going to come of this? Because the last thing you want to do is put a bunch of work into getting press coverage that results in crickets. It might be bragworthy, but you don't get much out of it. I know you're going to love this interview with her and walk away with tons of great insights on how to get some great press coverage for your brand. I will quickly remind you guys before we go on to the interview that coming up soon is a mailbag episode. If you have questions for me about working in the fashion industry, it can be related to anything about launching your brand, working freelance, career advice. I answer all of those in the mailbag episodes. We have one coming up pretty soon. The best way to get your question answered is to send it to me via email. Please post that to podcast at soheidi.com, S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com. Again, podcast at soheidi.com to submit your questions for the mailbag episode. I will choose the top questions and answer them on that episode. Now, let's jump into the interview with Lorraine. As always, to access the show notes for today's episode, visit sfdnetwork.com slash 55. All right. Welcome, Lorraine, to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. I am really, really excited today to have you on. Um, to be totally transparent, this is my first time having another podcast host on, so definitely excited to kind of turn the tables on you. Um, on that note, can you please tell everybody who you are and what you do in the fashion industry? Sure. Well, I'm thrilled to be here on your show and talking to you. So I know this is going to be a fun convo. Um, so I, my name's Lorraine and I run the Spirit of 608 and our, you know, quote unquote flagship product, so to speak, is a weekly podcast where we feature interviews with business owners at the intersection of fashion, entrepreneurship, sustainability, and tech. And I call that space Fest. It's my play on STEM. It's my 
um, way of shortening that phrase after many months of trying to explain it to people and having to say those four words over and over again and then finally realizing that it made a really cool acronym. So that's why I call it FAST. And we also have a sister business called Prestope where we work with uh, founders of fashion businesses, independent brands and fashion startups to help them learn how to get the word out about what they're doing to the media and through thought leadership. Awesome. So first of all, I love the fest concept. And I love how you just compared it to STEM. um, Because that's that I had a light bulb moment when you said that I'm like, Oh, yeah, it totally makes sense. I mean, I've, I've known you as fest, and I get it. But making that comparison was brilliant. Um, So I'd love can you kind of take us back to the very beginning? Like, where did all of this happen? Like, what's your story? How did you find these two? How did you create these two businesses and get to where you are right now? Sure. So I'm a recovering recovering journalist and you can tell (laughs) I had to even stumble over it to go back to talking about my reporting days. But I spent probably, I don't know, 12 plus almost 15 years covering um, stories for different publications. And when I first started out, I was doing nothing even remotely to do with fashion. I covered... um, a lot of sort of general interest stuff in San Francisco, which is where I was based for 16 years up until two years ago. And now I'm in Virginia, but the bulk of my professional life post-college was out in the Bay Area in California. And um, I really kind of sidestepped into covering fashion because I started a blog about independent designers in San Francisco in, it was like around 2005, 2006. And that was back when, you know, Etsy was just starting to get going and the maker movement was big and like people were starting to blog in a way that was different than how they had done it in the previous years. And I really um, created it just to have a space to go to find out when different events were happening. Like I was interested as a shopper. Um, I mean, to be honest, I was trying to justify my shopping habit <laughs> in some way by <laughs> by like having a meaningful underpinning to it. I wanted to know where things came from. I wanted to shop from people that were making their own things and that I believed in, but I couldn't figure out how to find those people and the events and the trunk shows. And I knew they were having them. And so I created a site where all the information would live for people in the Bay Area who wanted to find it too. And um, at the same time, I was reporting as my job. And a lot of my editors started asking me, they were like, oh, we know you do this blog. Could you just write about fashion for us this one time? And then over time, it became the bulk. And then it was like all of what I did. You know, I transitioned into that being the subject matter that I covered exclusively. But I really came into the fashion space where... You know, I didn't care at all about fashion with a capital F. Like, could care less what is in the pages of Vogue. I am much more of an underground, you know, indie supporter. But over time, as I continued reporting, I began covering things that were more mainstream. And then eventually, it being San Francisco and me having this really strong interest in entrepreneurs and creatives uh, and to begin with, you run into a lot of startups out there because of the tech scene. And I transitioned into, you know, focusing primarily on the intersection of fashion and technology and um, got interested in that kind of before it was like a thing. And I started a column for the San Francisco Chronicle about it and then ended up writing for Fast Company and then went on to cover fashion business for Women's Wear Daily. And um, so that was my professional background. 
And at one point, I, I actually, you know, as cheesy as it is, I went to South by Southwest one year <laughs> and I got completely just, I mean, I was already enamored with um, entrepreneurs and designers and people that are creatives and starting their own businesses. But I went to that and I was like, I think I've made this huge mistake in life and I need to not be in journalism and I want to be in the startup world. Mm. And I went and I worked for a startup that was in the fashion space and was actually a really cool company. Um, but, you know, after about six months, it became clear that the company was not going to be able to remain um, alive. And I was completely burnt out, like just burnt out. I had two little kids. I was commuting an hour each way to this job. I was working, you know, just a lot and not really taking much time for myself. And I was exhausted. I had like lost a bunch of weight and I ended up leaving that job and I had two months where I promised myself I wouldn't do anything because I was going to try to figure out what I was going to do next. And luckily um, I was able to take the time to sort of quote unquote figure things out. And so I spent a lot of time like walking my dog and running errands that I hadn't had time to run for a long time and doing things around my house that I neglected and I was listening to podcasts the whole time. And it just sort of became this thing that clicked for me where I felt like I found something that I had been missing all my life and I hadn't known that I'd been missing it, you know? Yeah. Wait, just for a rough like gauge, where are we timeline that you kind of discovered the podcast and you're taking these two months off? Like, where uh, are we so at? So that was um, 2000. It was like late 2014. It was right around. It was it was exactly when Serial was huge. Okay. And I became obsessed with listening to that. And then I, you know, like so many people fell in love with podcasts through that show. But then I very quickly uh, got into listening to business driven podcasts. And um you know, from there, just knew that it was the direction I wanted to head in. And, um, you know, that led me to eventually create the Spirit of 608. Mm. Okay, so I mean, I love one thing I want to point out is I love how earlier in your story, you made the comment that like you, you created that opportunity to, to cover fashion, you created that for yourself, because you, saw something that you wanted to exist, it didn't exist. So you just made it. And then that led into so many other opportunities within your your career. So I, I want to point that out, because I think that's, um, it's kind of a theme. I, I we talked about it um, in a recent interview that I did. And like, you see, you, people can say like, you have to create an opportunity for yourself, which sounds like, well, how do I actually do that? And that was a great example of one that you did. And that led to so many other things. Um, and so then you were like listening to podcasts and you thought, I love this. This is what's missing and I'm going to do it. And so like, what did that actually look like? Did you just start asking people for interviews and just start? No. So, all right. A couple things that I think are worth noting along that path. Um, like I said, I was listening to a lot of sort of the most mainstream shows and, um, you know, I just thought, oh, well, you probably need to be sort of NPR level to have a show. Right. <laughs> and one day I was walking along in my neighborhood in San Francisco and my neighbor, um, like family that lived like two doors down from me, I'm walking down the sidewalk and I notice he's, he has this giant, like vat of red liquid that's very like viscous and thick looking. He's like pouring it down his driveway into the drain in the street. And I'm like, what is going on here? This looks like blood. Like this is so sketchy. Oh, but you know, God. it's San Francisco. Like who knows what's going on? So I stopped and I'm like, I'm like, what's up with the, uh, you know, what are you doing right now? And he's like, oh, kind of sheepishly. He's like, well, he's like, I was at Comic-Con 
and um, we had to do this whole vampire zombie thing. And I'm like, hold on, what? And he's like, yeah, so I have this podcast and it's really popular with fans of The Walking Dead. And so I was invited to go speak at Comic-Con and this was one of our props was all this fake blood that we created. And, you know, he very like San Francisco like was like, oh, don't worry, it's water based. It's totally fine. <laughs> like, <I'm not laughs> And I was like, no, 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 but tell me more because I think he thought I stopped because I was like this nosy neighbor. Like, what are you doing to our environment? And I was like, no, tell me more about the podcast thing. And so come to find out, I live two doors down from a guy that has this show that's wildly popular. You know, he from the show had been invited to be on the show. You know, he's won all kinds of awards for it. And um, and uh, so I asked him, I'm like, could you like, you know, I've picked up your FedEx packages a couple of times. Like we were <laughs> decently friendly with the family. I'm like, would you sit down with me for an hour and tell me about podcasting? And so he did. And it really opened my eyes to the fact that people could build a business around it. And it also opened my eyes to the fact that it was so important to have a, a niche and um, that you really needed to focus in on something that um, a very specific set of people couldn't find anywhere else. So I had that on the back of my head. And over uh, sort of next little marker in the story is that I was having drinks with a bunch of friends one night. And I have this hilarious friend who every time I get together with her, we just I don't know, just start laughing. And we just, we both think that we're both so entertaining. And um, we, I was on this podcast kick and I was like, Hey, you know, we should have a podcast together. And so we started a show called underclothes and it was about like the concept was um, sort of trying to do like a radio lab style show about um, the sort of meaningful side of fashion and apparel in our lives. Mm. And the idea was for it to be stories and this sort of sound collage mixed with interviews and then our commentary. And um, it was really fun, but I was editing it all myself and it usually involved, well, the two of us coordinating, but then also um, whoever else we wanted to have on the show and finding different sound effects and music. It literally took me, I mean, just so much time to do each episode that we got four done and I just knew that if I was going to continue podcasting, it had to be something that I could do um, on a much more repeatable, efficient basis. And at the same time, you know, the woman that I was podcasting with, Haley, who's awesome and we're still really good friends, she had a full-time job and was not going to leave that job. So mm. we agreed that I would branch off and do my own thing. And at that point, I began really thinking about how can I be strategic and start a show that's going to really help the population and be meaningful to the population that I want to help, which is independent designers, people starting their own fashion businesses, entrepreneurs who are women. And through thinking about that, I came to the format that is Spirit of 628, where it's interview-based. We typically do um, shows that offer advice and tips, things that are actionable. And also we try to motivate people and stay inspiring because I've always felt like when you're on the entrepreneurial side of things, one of the hardest parts is not figuring out what to do, but keeping yourself in that mindset that you need to have to keep going with it. Mm -hmm. So um, then I launched that show in the fall of, I believe, 2015. And I spent the summer leading up to the September launch recording interviews. So I had like 30 um, episodes ready to go when I launched. And then I've continued doing it um, every week since then, except for when we take 
we take a month off in August and January. Yeah. Wow, you had 30. I'm impressed. I launched with five and I thought I was like really ahead of the game. You did your homework. Good job. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's like <laughs> I, I feel like it was a good thing in some ways, but then in other ways, um, you know, what, like we got in like a couple months in, like four months in and people were like, oh, you know, you interviewed me in June and now it's November. Mm. So in retrospect, I like doing things a little bit more um, currently now. Um, but back then it was useful just to be able to not focus on um, recording or producing and focus on marketing just in those early months. Yeah. And so did you really just, you you got all these interviews. I, I imagine you had, uh, like, had you just kind of built up the network over the years from people you knew from brands you supported yeah. and, and journalism pieces you had written? Yeah. I mean, I had a strong network of people in the fashion space, people that were running you know, anything from a higher profile fashion business to people that were just starting out. And I try to have a wide range on the show. Yeah. Um, but I had a lot of connections in that space. And then also, um, I was getting pitched constantly. I mean, I still get pitched a lot by people that think that I still report. So a lot of PR agencies reach out to me. And then, um, there were a lot of people that I just had always wanted to have a more in-depth conversation with, but yeah. the stories that I was able to actually write for publication, um, you know, my editors didn't want some long interview about their entire life. They just wanted the news hook. So it was an opportunity for me to actually get to do what I wanted to do, which was have these different kinds of conversations that, you know, frankly, a lot of publications that I had gone to and said, this is the type of story I want to tell. And they're like, well, I mean, we just can't really like fund that. That's not the type of content we do. And so it was really like freeing and cool to be able to go back and tap these people that had already sort of had a connection with or talked to a little bit in the past and take it into a different direction. Yeah. Okay. That is really, really cool. And then from there, how, and maybe this leads into the press dope stuff because press dope is your other business, which helps brands get press coverage. How did you sort of get the whole thing off the ground? So you, ground. So you started with, you had your 30 batched episodes, you had the podcast, then did you just go out and use the strategies that you know, like how to get some press coverage, how to get the word out there, how to help promote the show? Well, you know, it's interesting. I still feel like every day I'm still trying to get everything on the ground. <laughs> I mean, you know, welcome um, to the life of an entrepreneur. <laughs> I know. Well, just every day you're like, oh, okay. Like it, it's never. It never feels like anything's like solid and done. But yeah. um, no, press dope for me was a bit of a surprise because I started the Spirit of Six Hundred Eight while I was still reporting and consulting and had my income coming from other things, and mm. um, we didn't get sponsorship for the show until five or six months into the um into the series or after launch and the whole time you know that I was sitting there that fall when it first came out I was thinking I've got to build a business around this because I love doing this so much and I you know I kind of had gotten to where I wanted to go with reporting I sort of felt like to there there really wasn't a next step that seemed really appealing to me um in journalism and so um, I was noodling about what the business was going to be, and I thought maybe I would create a consumer-facing publication uh, for conscious consumers or people interested in um, fashion and technology or innovative fashion. And as I started to look into that more and more, I realized that you know the ultimate mission that I had was to have more people know about these entrepreneurs and these cool brands because 
I really feel like in the fashion industry, this is huge disconnect that most people have with what is on their bodies and how it's made. And I really wanted to not necessarily preach to the choir or try to tell mainstream consumers they're doing it wrong. Um, but I wanted to help the business owners who really already believe that stuff, like reach more people on their own. Um, but at the same time, I kind of knew that, but like I was really resistant to it because I actually absolutely hate PR. Like I, I can't, like I find the industry to be so problematic mm. and I had spent so many years being pitched by people that, I mean, you know, I, there's some PR people in professionals in that industry that do an amazing job that I love and respect, but they're like, you know, 5% out of, you know, a hundred percent that like, are doing it right in an authentic way. And most people just blast you and don't ever even pay the, even the slightest bit of attention as to who they're contacting. And anyway, I could go on for hours about my <laughs> issues with it. And so I had all that kind of resistance and irritation with the industry. And at the same time, listeners of the show kept coming to me and saying, oh, well, you have this journalism background. Can you help me figure out how to do my press strategy? And I was like, no, 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 I don't do that. Mm. No, 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 I don't do it. And finally, I was like, you know what? I don't want to do it for you, but I can teach you how to do it yourself. And it really worked out well because they couldn't afford. I mean, a lot of these startup brands, and independent designers, you know, PR is expensive. It's like minimum $3,000 a month if you want to get somebody good and you're living in a city. And in fact, it's typically going to be like more like five to eight grand on a retainer. Yeah. And so I just, you know, was like, look, this is a perfect fit for my audience. I'm going to teach you how to do it. And so that is what Press Dope became as a way for these founders to have a different option other than the agency option or just kind of hunting around blindly and not having any guidance. Yeah. And so um, when did all of that start, the Prestope stuff? So Prestope, I opened that site up for the first time in 2017 in January. So it's been a year and four months. Yeah. Plus. Yeah. And we have a membership-based site. So people join and they get access to resources and access to a media advisor. Um, and they um, also, we're also building in some online training so people can have their um, interns or junior level um, team members come in and take that and they can train them up to be able to do the PR on their behalf. So um, that's what we've been working on for the past year and a half while running the show. Wow, that's awesome. So I would love to, um, I mean, as soon as you said you had a kind of bad taste in your mouth about PR because uh, 95% of it is just these like blasted copy and paste generic sales pitches, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Do you ever get pitched? I mean, like people do this with podcast pitching too, where they're like sending you some person <laughs> that wants to be on your show. And it's like, we love your show. And so-and-so would be the perfect fit. And then I'll look at it and it's like somebody that, you know, they, they, they do something completely that has nothing to do with fashion they're like a guy that, you know, I only interview women with the exception of like three people that have ever been on the show. <laughs> and you're just like, what? What? You never even so. listen to the show, right? Like, right. Yeah. It's so interesting because I'll, I'll like for the average listener out there, they're like, I don't have a podcast. I've never been pitched. I don't know what it feels like to receive this email in your inbox. But I can parallel it to something that just happened to me on Instagram, a brand that I will not say the name of 
like commented on 15 of my pictures with the same copy and paste comment. And it said, we love what you're doing. Check out our business for blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, any average listener out there probably has an Instagram and has probably gotten, you know, spam generic comments on their Instagram. And how does that feel? It feels terrible. You're like, I'm reporting this as spam. I actually do. I'm that big of a nerd. I take the time to report it as spam. Because um, <laughs> I'm like, you're just so annoying. Or I make some like really jerk comment back to them. And I'm like, hey, how about being really generic and actually trying to engage? It's probably a robot that I'm yelling at. I should stop using my energy in bad ways. But on that note, like, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about you know the do's and don'ts of some of this press stuff because like you said 95 percent of the people are bad taste in your mouth doing it wrong so like what are the five percent doing that are doing it really well and does that actually work or like what would be some some strategies for listeners out there who have their brands and want to get some attention yeah totally so well the the thing that pr people bring to the table so i'll start with this when you're talking about the pr pros If you're a brand and you're thinking about hiring and investing in an agency, which there can be really fruitful, you know, reasons to do that. And there can be great reasons to do it and you can get great results. But by and large, what you're paying for, other than the administrative help with pitching and, you know, maintaining a media list and answering emails and setting up interviews and all that is you're paying, you're buying the relationship, right? That that agency has established and sometimes over years of um, history with certain editors. And that is what you were paying for. So um, I see the currency, like meaning like money currency in, in the relationship when it comes to um, PR outreach and getting earned media coverage, meaning media coverage you didn't pay for. So um, I think if you are going to work with an agency or professional, you really want to make sure that that person has a track record of solid relationships with people at publications. Now, when it comes to doing that from the brand side, it's a little bit different because, you know, chances are you are not going to have relationships with every journalist and every publication everywhere because, you know, there's only a limited number in a lot of cases that are going to make really solid sense for you as a brand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those may shift over time. Like what's a great fit for you right now might not be the same great fit a year from now. But I often encourage brands when they're thinking about doing their media outreach to start not with what the pitch is, not with what, you know, their news moment is, but to start with the publications and the people that are going to be really predisposed to being interested in them to begin with. And so when we do the online training that we have in Presto, we start out with the media list. And a lot of times people get, you know, sort of, it's not the sexiest topic. You know, it involves a spreadsheet. Like (laughs) lots of people want to take a nap when they open up (laughs) the spreadsheet and they're like, oh God. But when you have that really solid, list of people and it's highly targeted and you know why you're reaching them, it makes it infinitely easier to go to the next step, which is figuring out what to say to them. And not only what you could say out of all of the things that are happening in your business that are interesting, because most businesses that have revenue and audiences and are worth writing about have a lot of interesting stuff going on. But you want to make sure that what you're pitching to those people that are a great fit for you is also something that's going to come back to benefit your business's bottom line. So it involves really being aware not only of who's a great fit for you on the media side, but also like, why are you doing this PR outreach right now anyway? And what do you hope to get out of it? Because, um, 
you know, it's all well and good to get a really high profile mention in a national publication. But if the result of that doesn't lead to some sort of business boosting thing for you, whether that's brand awareness, whether that's more signups on your email list, whether that's sales, and there can be a variety of different goals that you have. If you aren't clear on those, um, I think it's easy to fall into that situation that a lot of brands end up in, which is they're like, oh, I spent all this money or all this time and all these resources on getting coverage, but it didn't really do anything for me. And then it feels very deflating and like a waste. And um, I think that press coverage is a wonderful thing for a brand. And it's a great way to reach new audiences and build up social proof and build your SEO, you know, rankings and all kinds of good stuff. But you really need to be strategic about it, especially if you're doing it in-house and you have limited resources and you're a small team or working with a small budget. Um, I can can speak like firsthand to that. A couple years ago, I spent probably two solid weeks compiling a list and ideas of pitching to really big publications. It's like, I'm going to get covered in Forbes. And then after literally two weeks of wasted time, like we're talking like 60 to 80 hours, I sat back and I go, why the F do I want to get covered in Forbes? Like nobody in my audience or is reading Forbes. This doesn't make any sense. And so I was like, I needed that smack in the face. Um, so like, how how do we think about like, where we should be pitching and like finding these publications and like sometimes the Forbes, even though that's like the biggest name ever that like, yeah, there's some bragging rights behind it. Your people maybe are not hanging out there. It might be some of the smaller, more niche things. So like, where do we even start with figuring that out and finding the right places? So what I typically teach people to do and recommend doing is not starting with the publication itself. And it's great if you know publications that you really want to be in. Sure. Go look for people there that are writing about things that are relevant to you and then put them on your media list. But where I recommend people start is using a free or very low cost aggregator tool that you like and you sort of gel with. Um, One example would be Google Alerts. Another would be Pocket. Another would be Feedly. I also use an app called Narrow that allows you, it's N-A-R-R-O, allows you to send any articles that you find online to your own private like podcast feed and your podcast player so they'll it'll actually read you the stories back which is nice because then you can digest news on the go and not have to be reading it at your computer but you you need to find a way to be um, aggregating and pulling in a lot of content you know usually you you know you're searching keywords setting up alerts on google um, that are relevant to you and then having a regular established time where you go through those results and you're looking at you know who's writing about sustainable fashion designers and Austin, Texas, or who's covering green fashion or recycled textiles made into athletic gear in New York, you know, and you're getting really specific and you're finding those writers and you're making it a point to put them on your list and then go back later and fill in all the information that you need in order to reach out to them and not only reach out to them with your ask, you know, your pitch when the time is right, but also to begin networking with them online and if possible in person, but online is really important, especially for those that are active on social media. Um, Because I tend to, you know, advise people to have been building the foundation of their relationships with the media. I mean, if you can, like at least four months, maybe six months before you're going to go out with some sort of launch news, because you want them to feel like they know who you are before you have an ask, especially when you're not coming to them with an agency behind you. um, And you don't have the benefit of that pre-existing relationship between the PR person and the journalist. So uh, starting there with 
currently published content and letting that lead you to the writers but rather than the other way around, like mm-hmm. starting with the publication and going that's, to the writers. That's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and then from there, the social networking piece I find to be really important. A lot of journalists really want to think that they discovered you. So mm. it's kind of this funny game of like, how can I pop up under their radar <laughs> in this natural way and make them feel like they are aware of me, but I'm not asking for anything. And then when you do go out with your ask, they're like, oh, right. I remember that person, you know, they retweeted my story about this to their audience or they commented on my Instagram post or, um, you know, another thing, if you have a more warm introduction or connection with somebody that is effective is trying to provide value in some way to them. And you have to be careful because you don't want to be weird. But, um, you know, when I was reporting a lot, I used to have entrepreneurs that, you know, they really tried to be helpful to me as a writer and they would connect me with other people in their networks. They'd reach out and say, you know, hey, you know, I loved your story about this. I I'm, you know, good friends with this startup founder and I thought you might be interested in what they're up to. Let me know if you want an intro. I mean, there's sort of things like that that follow a lot of classic networking advice. And I think you have to think of media as regular people and use those types of techniques in order to build real connections with them if you want to have any hope of them paying attention when you have something coming out on your side. Yeah, because as much as like, I think it can feel really hard to look at the media like, oh, they have a kajillion people pitching them all the time. They've got more stories and they know what to do with. On the other side of the table, and you can probably speak firsthand to this because you were in that seat, it's you're constantly looking for the next best story. Like you want to discover that thing. And so maybe someone out there knows that thing. And if they can give it to you on a silver platter and with an email, with an introduction, it's like, that's huge value to you. Is, am I interpreting all that right? Yeah. And, and, you know, it has to be done carefully and really makes sense. And it's time consuming to figure out that kind of information about people. But, um, you know, when you are going for a smaller number of people in the media and it's very highly targeted, I mean, those journalists and content producers, you know, maybe they're creating videos or podcasts, but they, they, that's what their job is. Like they want really great content that makes sense for their audience. So you always have to be thinking about if I'm going to reach out to them, whether it's to promote myself or somebody else or make a connection or whatever you're going to do, you really want to be clear that, you really are um, able to bring them something that makes sense for the type of content they produce. Now, the flip side of that is that media are notorious for failing to respond, um, <laughs> just totally not responding, um, you know, not getting back to you until like 24 hours before their deadline. I mean, and it's something that I always want to point out to people who haven't been in the media because I like it seems shocking. Like I've had people just tell me flat out that is the rudest thing I've ever heard. But I'm telling you, it's industry culture. I have editors whose weddings I've been to who I consider good friends, but I could send them an email and they just like literally will not respond to me if it doesn't have some sort of pressing need for them right now or utility for them right now. Mm. And so when you don't hear back, it's this funny thing you have to get used to when you're talking to the media that doesn't necessarily happen in other industries. Um, You don't get a lot of response and oftentimes you don't get a response unless they definitely want to cover you. And usually they want to cover you like really quickly. So um, you have to just always keep telling yourself, it's not me. 
you know, it's them. If I'm not hearing back, don't take that as a sign that I'm terrible and I was wrong about the connection and, and all of those things. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, some of the key things here is, um, you know, kind of building up that relationship beforehand if you can, and then really, really thinking about, and you should know this because you've been reading their articles, is, you know, what angle can I bring this in that would be most relevant and valuable for their audience? Or if you're going to make an introduction, like, how can I make this relevant? So really thinking about like the end reader, because that's who they're thinking about. Right. And to that point, I mean, I'm glad you said that because the, the, the thing that a lot of media are doing when they're evaluating you, so say you get a pitch and you're sitting in the journalist seat, you're like, okay, this is interesting. Let me check out a little bit more about this brand. And the question that they're asking themselves a lot of times, whether it's conscious or not, is, is my audience going to think more highly of my publication for having brought them this information? Mm. They're not really like, is your product great? Are you awesome? It's like, is this thing, if I put it in front of these eyeballs, are those people going to love me more or come back to my publication more often or engage with us more for us having put this content out there? Mm. And so you really have to think about, like, this is where the disconnect happens a lot. You know, I said, um, you know, always remember it's not um, you, it's them. Well, there are cases where it is you. And the (laughs) cases where it is you uh, are when, say, you know, you're pitching a very um, millennial facing um, publication that has this very slick website. And it's like, all crisp minimalist, like, you know, um, filtered out photos. And, you know, you're coming to it with this very craftsy, super bright colors, catering to um, people in their, you know, late 30s and 40s audience, you know, and that's your main customer base. But you really want to be in this publication because that's the audience that you want to attract. Well, it's very likely that that person who's the journalist, who's the gatekeeper, essentially, is going to go look at your site and say, you know, if I send my audience there they're not going to think that i'm cooler (laughs) just to you know yeah but for having put you there so you have to be really aware of of how they're evaluating you and then along the same lines um frequently you know if they're not super familiar with you especially if you're doing your own outreach and you don't have the backing of a pr agency that sort of adds that like credibility because um it subtly sends the message that you're able to pay for the pr so you must have some sort of momentum behind your business. Um, they will look at your social media. They'll look at other examples to try to justify, you know, covering you and, and, and engaging with you. And so if you're reaching out to a high profile publication and you don't have any social media presence or, um, you know, your product isn't available and there's no way for anybody to see it. I mean, there are things like that, that will, you know, lead them to just not respond. And you need to be aware of what those things are. Um, But there are ways to to create credibility, even if you are a small brand starting out, and you don't have a super, you know, huge social media following, you can do that in other ways. But you want to just be aware that that's probably what they're going to do is hear from you if they're interested in your pitch, then they're going to look at your website next, and they're going to look at your social media after that. Okay, so it's like, all right, they're starting to do like, maybe two minute like poke around to discover Mm -hmm. who I am, what's really behind me? Like, am I really anybody? But like you just said, a lot of us are still nobody. So like, how do we cleverly creatively get around that? Like, what are we what are our options? Well, so here's a couple things that I recommend. Say you're starting out, you haven't had the time to build up your social media audience to where you envision it going in the future, Um, your early stages with your product. So a couple things you can do. One, 
thought leadership and creating original content that you're putting out into the world can be really, really helpful. So if I go to somebody's website, I like what I see. If I go to their social media, I see they've got, you know, a presence. They're not just like 20 followers or something. I'll be like, hmm, well, maybe I'll try to figure out a little bit more. The next thing I'd probably do would be to Google them, either the brand name or the founder, probably mm-hmm. both. And if something comes up with the founder or with the brand name, and say I was led to a post on Medium, and the person was writing about something that was relevant to the industry, and it wasn't super salesy, but it was really putting their perspective out there. Um, that would establish credibility for me. Mm-hmm. Say they had participated in an event with um, a bunch of other brands and I Googled it and I saw like their you know, Facebook event listing and I knew of the other brands and I was like, hmm, so they're in this scene. That could provide credibility. If I went to their social media feed and they didn't have a huge audience, but when I looked at their images on Instagram, I could see that, you know, they've got behind the scenes photos and then they're out and about in the world and they're showing me through what they're presenting that they have something going on Mm -hmm. and that there's movement and engagement. I know engagement's a lame word, but you know what I mean? That people are interested. I would be searching for indicators that people are interested, even if it's a small cult-like following. Um, and, uh, you know, that would, that would go a long way for me. Um, and I think the general way that I usually put this is like, if you can demonstrate that you are a part of a conversation that's larger than you and you're making sort of real steps in the world to be a part of that conversation, then that to me, um, speaks volumes, especially if you're a small brand, it lends a lot of credibility. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I've never thought of anything like that because I think it can feel really intimidating when you're starting your Instagram or I mean, I'll use that one because I think that's one of the most prevalent in our industry and fashion. But like, yeah, you're like, I've got 20 people. But like, we all start from zero, right? I mean, even my Instagram is not that great because I've barely paid attention to it until a year ago. And even still, it's a hard platform for me. But um, you know, I think that you're, it's such a great point to look at like there's credibility in other ways, like what type of fun collaborations are you doing? And like you said, even if that just comes up on like a Facebook search, that's it shows that, like you said, there's something going on. It's not just someone who's living in a vacuum, creating clothes in their basement and like now wants me to cover them like they're out there. They're they're part of something bigger. So I love that. That's really, really um interesting sort of perspective to look at things from. So, okay, so we are have all these great things we can do um, in terms of discovering where we should be pitching, how to maybe have some of those conversations, how to create a presence, um, even if we don't have much of a following yet. And then what's really next? Do we just kind of start sending out some pitches and asking for coverage? Or how do we think about the next steps? Well, it's always different for every business, but where I recommend people start is looking at the year ahead, maybe the next four quarters and saying, you know, what are my big business milestones? Like what is really going to be happening in my brand? And, you know, narrowing it down to, and some people will push back on me about this, but I think for most businesses starting out who are doing their own PR in-house, you typically are not going to have more than one major media moment per quarter. Mm. And you can focus on that and think about, you know, who are the people that I want to tell this media moment to? And how do I want to tell that story? And you can put your time into that pitch. I almost never recommend having a formal press release, by the way, unless you are um, you like announcing funding news or something that like needs to be of public record. Some people believe that press releases help SEO value. I don't really think that they do. And then from a journalist perspective, I I tend to think they're discredit you somewhat because they look 
just really generic, but whatever. That's a whole other kind of in the weeds conversation. <laughs> the best thing you can possibly do is have a clear, like, this is our news. And this is why it matters. And this is, you know, more about our company and be prepared to um, do the research that you need to do in order to customize that email outreach to the individual media target. But a lot of people will say, well, okay, great. So I pitched these people. I know what my four media moments are. You know, I understand how those media moments are going to benefit my business if I promote them. Because by the way, as a side note, like you might have like eight media moments, like you're doing a pop-up shop, you're releasing a collection, you might be getting some funding news, say you're opening a retail space, um, you're partnering with some influencer, like all these things could be interesting media moments. But like, say you have to narrow it down, like, I recommend narrowing it down to the ones that are going to be most likely to drive um, interest in the part of your business that generates the most revenue, right? Because you've got to have the business be the focus here and not just prestige and like, you know, being in a cool publication or else your business isn't going to be around for as long as it might be otherwise. So um, business focused uh, approach to narrowing down your media moments would be the first thing. And then um, having a thought about how you're going to maintain your relationships with the media in between those major media moments, because one of the most common things to do for brands, and they usually do it from a place of trying to be polite, like normal, nice people is that they will reach out to the media only when they have something that they want to share. That's a pitch. Mm -hmm. And then they'll wait like four months and journalists haven't heard from them. Um, at any point in between. And it's very, very hard to get coverage that way. I recommend that, sure, you do your four launches, but in between all of that, you come up with ways to continue maintaining the connection, staying um, you know, on those journalist radars. So there's a couple ways to do that. One example would be to con- continue to pitch, but in a more um, like product-driven way. So I get a lot of pitches to this day from brands that are like, um, okay, so Mother's Day is coming up or it's kind of too late to get coverage for Mother's Day, but say like graduation or early summer. They'll be like, hey, are you working on any roundups or gift guides about you know early summer uh, transition apparel into the summer months? We have a great you know, maxi dress that could go day to night to the beach to wherever. And, you know, it's just like three images and this short little bullet point, like why this item is great. And they just blast that out to people like once a month. They have a little thematic product driven pitch or um, they're making sure to post, um, you know, original content on places like Medium or they're just sending journalists that have covered them in the past a little update like, hey, you know, thanks so much for covering us couple months back, just wanted you to know, we recently um, sold through our entire collection and we think that you had something to do with it and you're awesome and hey, you know, hope we can stay in touch. Like not asking for anything, just sort of shooting them an email like you would a retail partner or somebody that was a buyer for your store that you wanted to sort of just have that good relationship with, right? Yeah. So you want to have that strategy built into your daily and sort of weekly operations of your business and then really know what those four media moments are um, and uh, organize things out so that you're planning far enough ahead in advance so that you don't run into the issue of like a week before the news, you know, just only starting to get the word out um, with like a really short timeline because you need to have, you know, probably a good solid three weeks to get any kind of digital coverage. 
Okay. So I've never really thought about it in terms of like the media moment angle, which is really interesting to me. So it's, it's more strategic. And I, I, I mean, now that you say it, it makes total sense, but it's more strategic for me as the brand, as well as for the publication, if if I go to them with a really specific thing to talk about, like you said, launching a collection or doing a pop-up shop or something like that, rather than just, hey, I have a really cool story behind what I'm doing and I want to share that. Yeah, well, so it's interesting that you say that because um, for you, I mean, you know, you're in the thought expert, thought leader arena, right? And a lot of people that have um, podcasts, books, blogs, who are um, creating content that other people follow and get a lot of value out of, they will pitch themselves in a little bit of a different way where they're sending, instead of that like product-driven pitch I was just talking about, they're sending more like, um, I could be a great source for you if you're ever working on any stories about X, Y, or Z. And they will oftentimes have a speaker one sheet. I don't know if you've gotten podcast pitches where people have like a little podcast one sheet thing for themselves. Yeah, I'm familiar with the one sheet, yeah. Yeah, so they'll do that for um, all kinds of publications. And sometimes it goes out just sort of not tied to any cultural moment or seasonal thing. But other times I will see people sending stuff like you can tell they were waiting for something to happen in the news. And then the minute that that person's expertise is relevant to something happening in the news, um, they will start blasting out their, you know, outreach. So, for example, like Fashion Revolution Week. Right. You know, say you were to start reaching out four weeks in advance and say, hey, are you working on any stories about Fashion Revolution Week? You know, if you need an expert source, I'd love to help you. And here are the five things that I can talk about. And here's my background. And, you know, um, and that oftentimes is really useful to journalists because they want to do a story, but they need experts on different sides of the issue to come in and comment. And that could take a lot of research for them. So yeah. um, that's another way in. That's interesting. Uh, I th- I, wow. I mean, I, I had kind of was saying, let's say I'm doing this. I was kind of saying it more in the shoes of a brand. Um, but I, that's a whole other angle I never even thought about. Um, so that's fantastic. I'm going to take that one and run with it. Thank you. I will let you know what results I get. <laughs> well, and brands, brands could do it too. I mean, as a store owner, you know, a lot of people are talking about um, the death of retail and, yeah. you know, I mean, anything or like blockchain and cryptocurrency. I mean, you could be like, are you looking for a retail owner who can speak on and just any subject matter? Um, you know, there's a lot of journalists out there. They really just want like 10 people that they know in an industry that they can just go boom, 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 boom. I need a quote. I need a quote from you. Yeah. And you can make that relationship with them and be somebody that they can rely on. It really can be something that comes back to benefit you multiple times. You know, they'll, they'll call you for lots of different stories they have. Oh, I love that. That's brilliant. Um, okay, cool. So let's see, we now have like kind of really put together a structured plan and we're, we've got our media moments or our expertise and we're kind of trying to align that perhaps with certain events that may be happening in the news. Um, and we go out for the ask and sometimes we're not just asking, we are looking at ways to provide value or even I have to highlight this one that you just said because this is a huge one for me um going back to say thank you for the press coverage because now it's you know four weeks later and we just sold out like a lot of people I think can 
I don't know if they think that they're just bothering the person, but they don't give an update or they don't give a result that they got from something that that other person did for them. So maybe it's like, oh, I wrote this article about you and then your collection sold out. Does that journalist want to know about it? God, yes, they want to know about it. Like that, that makes them feel really good. But I, and I don't know what it is if it's like a, maybe the person just forgot. But like going back to say thank you and let them know the result, I think can be huge. I know I've had people in my my businesses who have thanked me and I love hearing it. And then I have people who haven't thanked me. And then when I want to give something to somebody or, or whatever it may be, like the people I always think of are the people that have thanked me. Yeah. Well, and, and, um, I mean, it's so meaningful when people, if you're a content creator, it's so meaningful when people notice and come back to you and, a lot of journalists get, um, especially in the mainstream media, they get a lot of like really negative feedback. Mm. Um, and so when they get positive feedback, you know, and it's done in an authentic way and you're really not asking for anything, they will remember it and take note. Um, you know, sometimes they won't respond. I mean, that's the thing that I think is really hard about mm. reaching out to the media is that they're not the chattiest bunch. You know, they, they can be sort of rude and standoffish and Um, you know, I wish it weren't that way, but I think that is the reality, but I still think that going back and continuing the conversation and, you know, um, trying to keep them posted on what you're up to is really, 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 really important. Yeah. And I think, do you think it's a matter of just like telling yourself that it's, I mean, cause maybe people look at it, they think, oh, if I'm just telling you all this, I'm just bragging or I'm just pestering you too much, but it's, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's delicate. I do think that you have to, um, again, be careful that you're assessing what the publication is and getting a good read on whether you're a fit. And, you know, that can be really difficult to do. You know, you might want to try to get some feedback from some people that are, um, you know, in the media world or any way that you can, other friends and brands about whether they think that you're hitting the mark when you start to really target media. Mm-hmm. But once you've kind of done that work, um, or if they have featured you in the past, you know, by all means, just casually, and I'm not saying write them like four paragraphs, but like, hey, you know, uh, thanks so much for covering us. Um, we got this new collection. And just wanted to keep you posted on what we're up to. You know, always love what you do. If there's any way I can be of help to you in the future, um, let me know. You know, oh, by the way, my friend's opening a store next month. I mean, just, you know, like, treat them like a person. Yeah. And if they're a jerk and they don't write you back, like, they're just being a journalist, pretty much. And um, then, you know, you move on and you don't let it mean too much about you and your business. You know what you're doing is awesome and you keep doing that. But you put the work in to have those press relationships because those relationships, just like PR agencies are selling them to lots of brands for thousands and thousands of dollars a month, those are worth something to your business. And maintaining those, I think, is something that's often neglected because Mm -hmm. it's a hard process and you don't get the positive social feedback that you do on social media via likes and comments and all this stuff. But if you do put the time in and the work in and make it part of your regular consistent business operations, it really is something of value that will serve you well for a long time. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, obviously, there's you know a million different questions that come along with this when it comes to, oh, how sh- should I say this? Should I do this? What you know? What do I do if this happens? Um, I mean, we could go on for hours on this show. So that being said, you have the Press Dope resource, and so what does that look like if people are in a spot where they 
they have their brand or they have their their business and they want to get coverage. Like, what does that look like to work with you and, and to take the next step into getting some support to help them get press coverage? Right. So the way that we, and, and you know, to be transparent, you know, we started out with one sort of way of working with people. And then over the course of 2017, um, you know, as an entrepreneur, you, you start out with like a lot of assumptions about what people are going to do and use. And we actually beta tested a lot of people and built everything based on what they said. But then when people actually use something over time, you watch and press is such a long game yeah. that it was really helpful for me to watch not over like three months, but over like eight months, what happened with brands as they started to do this outreach on their own and what their issues were. And, you know, a lot of times what they thought the issues were at the beginning were not what the issues were like when they really were six months into it. Mm-hmm. So um, I say all that because um, we really have tried to develop things so that it's hitting some of the challenges that entrepreneurs run into. And the biggest one that I found is that a lot of founders, they start out, they're like gung ho about this. They're motivated. They do all the work. They start building the lists and they've consistent. And then as their brands start to grow, the ones that are successful that are reaching their audience and are growing revenue and are building something that they're going to continue with, they eventually, it does not make any sense for them to continue doing the daily outreach and updating their media list and like tweeting journalists on their own, right? Like they, they're the founder of this yeah. business or they're the designer and they've got all this other stuff they've got to do. So we have changed press dope some so that it's really flexible because we want it to work for the founders who really are DIY doing it themselves. And then also for people that have teams they're growing so that their junior team members can come in. And I had a lot of people that I worked with, um, both members of Prestope and then I do one-on-one strategy sessions. And a lot of the founders were like, okay, awesome. This sounds great, but I I'm like, don't have time. I just got accepted into a, an accelerator or I have to go to you know Italy on a sourcing trip. And But I've got this intern, but she knows nothing about PR and she's only going to be working with us for five months. So how do we solve that problem? So what we did was create online video training. So it's meant to be taken once or repeated. Like you can go through it every time you need to do a pitch. It'll walk you through the same process. And I swear, like my <laughs> my thing with it is, is I'm like, I really could teach, I could teach anybody to do your PR for you with this. Mm-hmm. And that way, if you want to do it as a founder, fine. But if you scale up a little bit and you've got somebody junior and you need their hand held, we've got the training and then at a more premium level, when people join, they can get one-on-one help from a media advisor and it's email-based help, kind of like you would find at any sort of support um, ticket system with um, like a software tool you were using. Mm -hmm. And you can submit like, hey, we have this event and we want to pitch it and we're not sure the timing. Can you help us plan out our campaign? And we go back and forth and help people um, with scheduling. We help people with thoughts about how they're positioning their pitch. We have a bunch of resources like pitch templates so they can um, look at a structure for an email if they want help with that. And um, we generally try to coach and guide them through the outreach process that they're doing on their own. Awesome. Wow. It sounds like a really, really great structure to give you the support that you need, but also let you do the DIY stuff and not have to pay three to $5,000 a month for a package, which is hard to justify for many, many, many businesses out there. That's a huge expense. So um, really, really awesome. Where can everybody find Press Dope and Spirit of 608 and all the awesome stuff that you do? 
Yeah, thanks for asking. So you can find us across social media at Spirit of 608 and Spirit of 608.com. And then Presto lives on its own separate website and it's P R E S S D O P E.com. And that's in as in the straight dope. Like we'll give you the straight information about how to reach the media. And um, yeah, hope you will come check us out. Instagram's our um, most sort of you know, I don't know. So we put the most time into social media and then obviously the podcast itself, um, which you can get anywhere you listen to podcasts. Yeah. Awesome. And I will link to all of that in the show notes. Um, Lorraine, this has been so much fun. I would love to end with the one question I ask everybody at the end of the episode. Um, and that is what is one thing that people never ask you about working in the fashion industry that you wish they would? Hmm. What is one question people never ask me about? Um, I think that I would love if people, and actually, you know, it's hard to, it's like which people, but when I talk to people who are not in the fashion industry, like people who do not design and just people I meet out in the world and networking with, they often think fashion, like what's in vogue, you know, and, and Mm. like what's in, you know, your big box retailer. And I wish a lot more of them were curious about where their clothes came from and how it is that all of this fabric and material that we put on our bodies every day actually came to be in our world. You know, we are also so many of us now are very, you know, attuned to food and where the our food has come from and how it is made and all kinds of issues related to that from like workers rights to environmental issues. And I feel like our clothing is just as big of a force in the world and all of those facets yet most people don't really think about it and I think they don't think about it because it's hard to change those things but I just wish people would consider it a little bit more I'm not asking people to make any radical shifts necessarily that aren't comfortable for them but I do think that we need to be a lot more thoughtful and aware of what the reality of the apparel and fashion industry is in our world today awesome and you can hear about and learn about all of that on all of the podcast episodes you do. So um, definitely check those out, everybody listening. Lorraine's show is fantastic, and I know you'll enjoy all of her interviews and uh, the guests that she brings. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. It was really, really fun, and um, really excited to hear your story and all the amazing press tips. I'm definitely going to take some of those and run with them myself. So thank you for that. Yeah, thank you for having me, and I can't wait to see you show up in the press. Oh, thank you. I will definitely come back and let you know. Okay, cool. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you on the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. And I really, really appreciate you listening and tuning into the show. Last, if you'd like to learn more about any of the resources Lorraine mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash 55. And one quick reminder that the mailbag episode is coming up soon. If you have questions for me, I answer all of those in the mailbag episodes on the show. You can email those to podcast at soheidi.com. That's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you in the next episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast.